if you're waiting to do anything with technology, I think a good time to do it is, is now <laughs> because even taking a very small step, having like a one page site will make you more prepared for the opportunity or need that might arise more quickly later. You're listening to the 95 podcast from the team at 95 Network, where we host conversations specifically to support leaders in small and mid-sized churches. Well, welcome back to the 95 Podcast. My name's Austin Savage. I'm here with Dale Sellers, and we are your hosts. Dale, how are you today? <laughs> I'm doing lovely today, as always. Just having a great time. Uh, a lot of excitement for us at 95 Network. Yes. Uh, as we record this today, today's the day we launched our uh, our new national conference, and we're, yep. I'm, I'm, I've been having nightmares about it, and so I'm glad that it's finally launched <laughs> Just because we've been so like nervous and excited all at the same time, yeah. Well, it's one thing to go take our our small church conference to an area, but it's another yeah. world to invite everyone to pack up and come to Greenville for a few days. But yeah, uh, so we'll see what happens. You know, it may be the it may be a tremendous success, or it could be a tremendous flop. Yeah, and there's only <laughs> so one we'll way to find what, out. So there ain't but one way to find out, and that's to jump off the deep end. So here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I, I really am. But we've never done it before. You know, like you were saying, we've done like virtual conferences. We've obviously gone, you know, places and had help from, you know, local pastors and stuff like that to get people places, but never have we yeah, hosted a national conference. Well, it's been on my heart for about three years to do it. And one mm-hmm. of the, one of the things I love, we, we, Greenville, South Carolina is a destination city. Yeah. Uh, it's just that they've it's revitalized the downtown. It's a gorgeous place. That time of year, we're doing it on November 4th. Uh, yeah. The leaves will have changed and, and we're very, you know, we're an hour from the Blue Ridge Mountains. We're three hours from the coast. And so I'm hoping a lot of our mid- Midwest friends will want to come and go to the conference mm-hmm. and go down to Charles and see the coast. So uh, we'll see. Who knows? It's Here we yeah. go. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dale, on the podcast today, we are continuing our series of uh, interviewing people who employ your family, your children. <laughs> we, we talked to, we've had Tiffany on the podcast, who's your daughter, and Tony Morgan, who is, t- I guess, her boss. Yeah. And now your daughter, Lydia, works with us as well. She's a membership support here at 95 Network, but she also works for a company called Pathrite. And today we're talking to the co-founder of Pathrite. So that's kind of a cool little series we got going on, I'd uh, say. Well, I'm, I'm running out of kids. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, we got one more. So we'll talk to Hannah, find out who she's working for up in uh, Montana. But uh, I, Lydia works for a great company that's making a huge impact. Uh, it's called Pathrite, and I love what they do. I'm so mm-hmm. thankful that Paul could join us today. Uh, Lydia really enjoys working there and, and being part of that team, and yeah. and and especially she's been there for a few years now and, and beginning to really see the impact of what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just so thankful to have him on today. So Paul, welcome. We're glad to have you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks so much for asking me to join. Yeah, it's going to be a party. So. <laughs> That's what we like to say. So it's going to be fun. At least well, it will be in our mind. Yeah, in our mind. You you don't have to enjoy it, but we'll enjoy it. So, Paul, we always love to start with our guests' stories. So take a quick moment and tell us a little bit about the journey God has led you on to where you're at now. I grew up in Greenville, actually. And most of the time when I was growing up, it was not a destination city um, <laughs> like it is now. But it was still not a bad place to grow up. And the other significant thing that kind of plays into the story is I have a twin brother. And okay. ever since we were playing with Legos, we love to like figure out wild things to create together. Hmm. And we grew up in a Christian home, went to church, um, but we were also homeschooled. And so we had lots of spare time to just play with stuff. And then sometime around like 1997, 98, we got this book out of the library called HTML for Dummies. 
Yeah. And we started trying to fiddle around with that, making some websites. And at the time, my mom didn't know anything about the internet or technology. She's still not like a whiz at it, but she <laughs> had the kind of like parent teacher intuition that like, hmm, they seem to be really into this and maybe yeah. this might be a big thing someday. Hmm. And so she actually let us spend like an hour or two a day for school, yeah. like learning how to first just do websites, but then do code. And we spent all our time outside of school doing that too. And so they're, they're nerds, by the way, Austin, they're, they're, they're nerds. nerds. Yeah. Just want to make sure you knew that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. From the beginning. Smart, yep. smart nerds. <laughs> but uh, we, we started doing that when we were 13. And I think I'd like to, like code schools are pretty popular now, even in high school. But I, would, yeah. I like to say that we had the very first code school potentially um, mm. with our little homeschool there. <laughs> thanks to my mom. So that's um, cool. But we kind of fell in love with creating things with code real early. And then we kind of programmed our way through high school and college. We actually paid our way through school by writing educational software for the school we were in. And we were noticing this gap between um, kind of like the software that some teachers were trying to use to organize their class material and like what was possible. And the software at the time was just horrible for that. And I know for a lot of university students, it still is if you've ever taken an online class from a university. That was the case at the time. And that's really what got us interested in trying to do something in education that would be a little bit better for our students and teachers because um, we knew that that potential was there. So fast forward, I don't know, after college, a few years later, we were um, out doing design and development consulting, like making apps and websites for a lot of ministries, actually, and one big ministry in particular in Florida. Hmm. And um, we were working on a totally different project at the time, but their director communications had a sit in on a meeting, like a post-mortem meeting with their um, distance education team. They were trying to offer three courses on like apologetics and hermeneutics and other things to, to lay people and pastors. And they were using this uh, LMS called Moodle, um, which is still out there. And it's just mm-hmm. a really horrible experience. And um, <laughs> they, they had that experience with it. And they were, they were trying to figure out why in the world it didn't go like they hoped it had. And we were just sitting there watching. And um, I think they had had something like 90 to 100 people register for these $300 certificate programs and go through it. And then nine months in, only like three people were still active and almost everybody had dropped off. And it became really apparent to us like right away that the software was a huge part of the issue. It was just people were were eager to sign up and learn, but then they couldn't learn the software. And it kind of, it actually made us kind of angry because um, it was just getting in the way at every point. And we thought at that point, like, okay, well, this might be a chance to do something uh, better and meaningful that could actually help these people that are really interested in these important topics, really interested in learning, actually do that. And so we made a prototype that night in our hotel room and we came back and we pitched it (laughs) to the ministry. That is crazy. And um, and we were like, you know, if you, if you fund half of this and we asked for way too little, actually, if you fund half of this, we'll let you use it for free and we'll just kind of, we'll try to take the rest of it and make a business out of it. And they're like, well, okay. (laughs) And so it was kind of an unusual bet on their part too, Mm -hmm. and kind of step of faith to, to do that with us. That's where it started. And that was 2009. That was before there were any online courses really out there um, other than these kind of like certificate type programs that people were sending and often through the mail and through like DVDs and stuff at the time. But um, that's where it started. It started as a very small side project. Um, We did a pilot test the year after that in 2010. 
And our first goal was really to make something so simple that anybody, regardless of their technical experience, could take the do the full learning experience and they wouldn't have to think about the software part of it. That's good software is some software that you don't really have to think about. We were pleased with the first test where we had a group of 30 people and they had volunteers um, sign up. And one of the volunteers was this man that was, I think he, he was retired. He was in his 70s, I believe. And not only had he never taken an online course before, but he'd actually never used the internet before. Really? And <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of an unusual test case, but his uh, granddaughter got him set up with it. And um, he actually finished the course within like four or five days, wow. way before all the younger people that were in the course with him. So mm. that was a, a good validation for us that, hey, I think we may be onto something and for the ministry as well. Yeah. And so we kept working on it um, for a couple of years and officially launched it in 2012. I have a ma- million questions. Yeah. <laughs> but go ahead. I was I'll... just going to say, tell us about the growth journey since then. Like, what's it, what's yeah. it look like? Yeah. So we, we opted to not take investment, which most startups were doing at the time and still yeah. a lot of startups do. It's kind of the common path. And we just had the sense if we took this early, we're going to have to like sell out in some way later down the line. And thankfully, um, God put some people in our path um, that gave us like really good advice on that front, including one of the top investors in the country who just met us and kind of adopted us for some reason. And he told us, he's like, based on your goals, I don't think you should take money and don't let anybody tell you to um, Hmm. until like you hit this milestone or whatever. And I'm very thankful that he had said that. We were disinclined to do it anyway. Um, but that kind of tipped it over the edge. Yeah. And in hindsight, that was certainly the right choice. Um, most of the startups around that time that did end up taking capital of some sort ended up just completely losing control and going in different directions. And part of the reason that we felt uncomfortable with it was essentially like our mission at Pathright is to multiply the impact that teachers make on the world. Mm-hmm. And we particularly want to do that for teachers who are making the most meaningful impact. So teachers and churches, ministries, um, teachers that are really having a transformational impact on people's lives. And I no, no investor is going to let you do that because um, you have to hit kind of like a 10x return yeah. um, milestone. And that's not like a super lucrative market. But it, for a small company that's going to bootstrap it and grow slowly, that's very achievable. Mm-hmm. And so that's the path we took. And I'm really glad that we, we have done that um, in that we had those people around us at that time. But yeah, it, so it was a side project basically until 2013 when we decided to go kind of all in on it. We had, I think, four people at the time. And since then, we've grown to about 14 people. So still a small team, which I really yeah. like, but working with a lot of really creative educators in ministry and all in all other aspects of education. So we have universities, we have individual trainers, we have sports coaches, we have just you name it, any slice of education, somebody is teaching that way or they're teaching that topic which is a really cool aspect too. We get to learn a lot of variety of things just from observing how people use it. So I want to ask you this question, just kind of, uh, I hate to say dumb it down, but just in a simple sense, tell us exactly what it is you you provide. I know you're supporting teachers, but kind of like somebody's listening today, they've never heard of Pathright. What is exactly it is that you provide? Great question. So it's actually in the name. So Pathright is kind of like shipwright or playwright. And what it means is a maker of paths, because that's the way that we view what educators do, is they take, they kind of meet somebody where they're at, and they take them step by step to where they hope to be, and they guide them along that path. And so that's exactly how it works. You make some lessons, and then you make some steps, which are individual actions you can take. Maybe it's watching this video, reading this article, 
discussing this topic and you just arrange those steps into a path and it's very flexible so you can change the path as you go and it's real easy it's just kind of like making a list Mm -hmm. Um, but it has all the content embedded within it and then you just have some tools around it that help you schedule it for people that help you give them feedback in a timely manner when they ask a question or they submit something and it basically can encapsulate the whole learning experience in one simple path and it also just reflects our view of what really great educators do is that they make paths for people. And so that's how it works. Like anybody can sign up, create some paths for their congregation. Well, the, the clarity that I want to bring is this is not like signing up to something that's already existing. This is where, I, like if I wanted to create a, a discipleship tool or a, teach a specific topic, I could connect with you guys and you would help me make that into almost a, I guess is curriculum the right word to, to use it to engage my congregation? That And I'm going somewhere with these questions is why I'm asking that. Yeah. So if you have a topic in mind that you wanted to teach, um, basically it's as simple as just hit, um, signing up for a Pathright account, which is free to start with. And then you can hit create path and then you just start creating all the lessons and steps and that you would, you want your congregation or whoever it is to take. And Mm -hmm. um, it's really that simple. So like a lot of times people are starting with something like a slide presentation that they have or some, a PDF study guide type of deal or some notes. And then they're just translating it into these actionable steps that they're creating on the Pathrate platform. And then they can offer that to whoever they want and they can offer it privately or they can offer it publicly they can choose if they want to sell it. They can choose to sell it in different ways by subscription or individually, like a la carte. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of like a full service platform where you can start, make a very simple course, um, or you could, like that original partner ministry that we um, that I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. they, I think they have about 110 courses now that they wow. sell, and they have reached over 18,000 people all over the world, and um, or 80, sorry, 80,000 80, people all over the world. Um, yeah, that's but a big difference. Started with that thirty people in one small course. So, mm-hmm. well, I, and, and see, the thing is, is one of the discipleship's a word we use every day in the church. We just don't do it. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I think we don't do it is because a lot of our churches are just do plug and play. So somebody creates something and they plug it in, and it's not always contextual to where they are. Hmm. And 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 either a pastor or a teaching pastor or an associate or maybe a children's ministry leader or a youth leader may have content that they would love to format and they don't know how to do it and and so if I had you know I'm a youth pastor and I've got this discipleship you know path or that I've created but I don't know how to get it where I can get it to people easily that's why you would be a person I would connect with to help make that happen is that correct? Absolutely. And we, we have conversations like that with pastors just about every week where mm. they're trying to take something like their, their new member course or their small group leader training. And they're trying to translate that into a path. And um, we provide the software, but we also provide a lot of guidance to help them do that, um, to help them think through that translation process. Because it, you know, like anything technological, it is like a little bit of a different language. Like we try to make it as easy as possible. But it's not the same language as we're used to or the same mediums as we're used to. So there is like a little bit of translation, um, but it's not really a steep learning curve. We have uh, many pastors all over the world of churches of all sizes that are doing like making some really amazing discipleship and teaching paths and using it Mm -hmm. very effectively. We try to help them over that initial learning curve as well. So we have three or four people at Pathrate that just kind of spend their day talking talking to people and helping them get started. How do you typically see, and you just highlighted it a little bit, but how do you typically see churches succeed by using Pathrite? Yeah, I think the 
the best thing that they can do is to think about like what types of teaching that they're doing where they find themselves repeating the same thing over and over again. Hmm. Um, so often this is like a new member class. That's like a pretty classic example when it comes to churches. Yeah. Um, small group leader training, volunteer training tend to fall in this category too, where there's a lot of time intensive meetings basically and in kind of class sessions that they go through and they're really repeating a lot of information and it's not really that much discussion heavy maybe there's some at the end and so anything like that it takes more time up front but will save a lot of time in the long run to go ahead and make a path out of that um, and then to have your members go through that path on their own schedule like when they're awake um, not when they just happen to be you know, in class. So that's actually right. a good uh, learning strategy there too, is like not everybody is ready to learn at, you know, eight o'clock on Saturday morning or whenever the class is. Yeah. But if you can give them the the freedom to take in that information on their own schedule when they're most alert, mm. that can be really useful for them. And we find that what it does is it cuts down the pastor's time or whoever the teacher's time is by at least 70 to 80% because much wow. of that content is already being transferred on the path. And then also when they do the kind of live Q&A or the live session, it can be much more personal and the questions are better because people know the topics already and yeah. you can get a lot more out of that in-person time. I want to dive into that just for a second. I was with a church in Michigan a few weeks ago doing a, a vision day and one of the people there was the superintendent of the schools. And we were talking about online learning and, and and what he was seeing and how things were going. And he said, and I and I think I have this number correct, that that they see an eighty percent better t- return uh, on students who take cl- uh, who take test if they give them a three day window to say, okay, here's the test. You need to take the test, same material, but you need to get it done within the three days on their own schedule and time than they do if they say, okay, at two o'clock today is when you take the test. The, mm-hmm. and, and and the objective of that is isn't just to compromise and let the kids be lazy. It's actually exactly what you said. Some people learn better at different times, yeah. and what they're seeing is is the kids are learning the material. And mm-hmm. so I just that, I think all this is so fascinating. And, and and I know God's blessed, and you guys have done a lot up until this point. But you've got to be pretty excited about the future when it comes post pandemic, <laughs> the ability to connect. Absolutely. Yeah, it really accelerated a lot of the things that we were hoping would happen, but weren't like too optimistic would start happening for, you know, another five to 10 years um, to say were happened at a crawl. But um, all at once, as I'm sure you've um, observed as well, like yeah. suddenly, uh, like we had a few churches, like small and large, who all of a sudden just put everything that they were doing on Pathway, including their their sermons and <laughs> their weekly discussion and all their classes. And so we, we kind of moved into like this mission control mode to try to help, help them do that. Um, Cause many of them, they had a, they had like maybe one class on there. Um, but then when the pandemic started, they just needed to find another way to do it. It's been amazing to see how resilient the pastors and churches are and church leaders are. It's just, um, they're under an immense amount of pressure already. And then mm-hmm. they got that um, thrust upon them without any warning. But all the churches actually that we observed handling that, just did it exceptionally well. Hmm. And I think a large part of that is because they were already kind of like on that journey, even if they were just taking small steps, um, yeah. just putting like one class on there, they at least had knew how to do that. And so that made it a lot easier when the time came to hmm. put a lot more in there. You don't hear that very often, Dale. Church, I know it. I'm just, churches I'm just did a good job. <laughs> 
Well, and, and honestly, we saw uh, one of the things I ha- that I have observed when once the pandemic hit, and and what we discovered, Paul, was that as people, uh, you know, the timing of the pandemic, it was just a few weeks before Easter last year. So yeah. what happened was everybody had Easter as a distraction. So we just got to get through Easter, just got to get through Easter, we got to get ready for Easter. And so they did that, and they put a lot of energy and intensity and focus on that. But then after Easter, it was like two weeks later, everybody went into depression because they're like, okay, we want this to be over, and it's not over. And so uh, that's when we discovered uh, pastors started doing crazy things like buying FM transmitters and, and, and broadcasting their service to the people in the parking lot. And I said, that'll never work. Boy, was I wrong. Because, I mean, churches all over America did that, and it worked all the way into the fall. Mm-hmm. And my favorite story of all was with the pastor recently, and, and they still do this. Mm-hmm. They took four large, huge, big screen TVs, got the technology to make them into, into quadrants, and, and took a, a welder, welded a frame, so they made a jumbotron. And oh, so wow. every week, this church rolls out that big jumbotron that they created on a scissor lift and puts it up in the air in front of the church, and people come and sit in their parking lot and watch it because they don't feel safe going in the building. Crazy. And the point of that was, it, I would have said, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard, but it works. And <laughs> yeah. and the innovation wow. that have, has happened has worked. And so I'm assuming that you guys have seen people go, hey, look, we've got to give this thing a shot because uh, we got to do something to connect with our people. Yeah, absolutely. And it was mostly for... From, it wasn't like we had actually a lot of new churches or new um, schools jumping on board because sudden kind of emergency pandemic is not a great time to try something new, I think. Um, <laughs> but what we did see is the, the hundreds of churches that we already had and other schools just began to rapidly accelerate what they had maybe planned for like three to five years from now or a yeah. lot later. So that's what we saw. And I think that would be one one takeaway I would suggest for anybody listening is if you're if you're waiting to do anything with technology, whether it's you know education related or not, like I think a good time to do it is is now <laughs> because mm. even taking a very small step, having like a one page site, um, will make you more prepared um, for the opportunity or need that might arise more quickly later. So let me ask you this question. This is one of the things that's been on my mind. And why is it that churches seem to drag their feet? toward uh, embracing technology or things like this that could be so helpful? That's something I've thought about a lot. Um, I don't think for one thing that that was always the case. So I think part of it is kind of like a misperception of what technology actually is. I think if we were going to define technology, we would just say basically technology is any tool that amplifies human potential. Um, So it describes a device that we can hold in our hand, but it also could be a book, a leather-bound book, like a Bible is actually a technology. It's just an older technology. When Hmm. the printing press, which revolutionized how information was distributed across the world, of course, in a significant way, only probably matched by the internet itself, Mm -hmm. that was made to print Bibles. And the church was like the earliest adopter of that technology. So it wasn't always the case um, that the church kind of lagged the culture when it came to adopting technology. Unfortunately, it is now, but I think part of it is just... Um, the nature of the technology itself, that all the digital technology that we use on social media um, and on the internet um, is coming from people that are not designing it for discipleship or human flourishing purposes at all. And, you know, it's coming from a, a value system and kind of worldview that is then baked into the decisions they make about how the features work and what kind of things that they emphasize in your feed, how the technology itself kind of shapes your mind Hmm. is predominantly controlled by people um, for very non-Christian purposes. And so I think 
pastors rightly have some concern and kind of like a, a bad taste in their mouth when they're interacting with it um, mm-hmm. because they are picking up on that idea. One of the analogies I've heard that I really like, technology in one sense is kind of like a shovel um, in that you can use it to plant a beautiful garden or you could bash somebody on the head with it. Hmm. But it's also, <laughs> and so like, a, you know, there is a sense that you can use it for good or you can use it for ill. But also there's a more subtle thing that happens when you use a a shovel for any amount of time is you start getting blisters and it starts forming calluses on your hand. And, um, you know, that's a simple example, but technology, we don't just shape our technology, but our our technology actually shapes us. And it does it usually in very subtle, indirect ways. So like, you know, staring at a Facebook feed or Twitter feed for too long during a day will shape our mind and our spirit um, in a significant way. And, that's a lot of times based on essentially the, they wouldn't call it this, but the theology of the people that are making that. Hmm. So I think that's a long-winded answer for, I think part of why the church is reluctant to adopt technology because so much of it is shaped in shaping people in the wrong way. But that doesn't mean it's irredeemable. I think that there are many ways that technology, even even Facebook can be used in a, a redemptive way. Um, and Christians have that within their power to do it. And I think it actually, that's where it comes down to really just having the the desire to try, basically, yeah. to believing that, you know, they have basically dominion, not over God-given dominion, not just over kind of like the atoms and the physical material of the world, but also the digital material of the world, the bits and bytes. We have dominion over that too. And God has given us that as a calling and responsibility. And I think if you can shift your mindset that way, that this is something, this is a medium, an environment, a tool that you can use and you can bend and you can shape um, to do God's work. um, That's the kind of the first step. And then it just comes down to learning that language because it's a slightly different language than what we know. Hey guys, this episode's not over yet, but I want to let you know about something that's coming up here in Greenville, South Carolina on November 4th. We're going to host the first ever From Stall to Freedom National Conference, and you're invited. This is going to be a perfect opportunity for you to get away. I want you to bring your spouse, if you can, and just experience a day of encouragement. And then I want you guys to block off the rest of the weekend, get somebody to cover for you that Sunday, so you can just rest and refresh. You know, you can't effectively lead if you're exhausted. And so I really want to encourage you to come and be with us. My friend Bob Hamp and I will be leading the conference that day, and it's just going to be an encouraging time. Just head over to 95network.org forward slash national conference, or you can find the link here in the show notes. Man, I hope to see you there. How do leaders get the courage to try? Related to technology or not, like having the courage to step out and try something new and, you know, redeem something or lead people somewhere is obviously what we all want to do. But a lot of us get stuck, I think, in it either feels too overwhelming or we get caught up in what we don't know. So what's a step that leaders can take to not get caught up in being afraid to try, I guess? Because as odd as it sounds, I think the first part of it is somewhat of a spiritual process of kind of shifting the mindset of thinking about what technology actually is. Um, it is. It is both a tool and it is an environment. And for a pastor, if they're thinking about it, it is shaping their congregation and yeah. it is changing their spirit. The, their, their, their congregation isn't spending as much time at work 
or at home often because they are on this kind of weird ephemeral place called the internet. And their mind is being shaped by that more than Mm -hmm. their workplace, more than on Sunday or Wednesday or in the teaching. And so if, if the pastors want to be in the conversation and shaping their members, then being in that technological environment is part of that, I think. And that can sound like such a an additional burden, which is not something that I want to communicate at all that to pastors that they they need to master these tools. Um, but I think it is important to understand that God gives us dominion over bits and bytes, and not just atoms um, in the material world. And that it is something that they can do, and they can have grace. And so I think that's one thing. And then I think the other thing is just starting very very small, just stepping into it. And then I, I think bigger than that even is just finding some people that have done it before. There are there are lots and lots of great examples of pastors in all size churches of every age who have, like you just mentioned some, like with the, the FM radio and the Jumbotron that they cobbled together. Like there are pastors doing amazing things with technology um, that never thought they could and didn't even think about it. They just did it. So I guess my suggestion would just kind of identify like a small need, like something that technology might might help solve and then just try that out. Um, take a small step toward it. it. It actually often is not as intimidating as it seems. It's just kind of like learning a different language. So the best way to learn a different language, um, I think we all know is not actually through taking all these classes and reading a bunch of tutorials or anything like that. It's actually just being immersed in it for a while. Hmm. I don't know if you had a language class in high school, but I didn't retain any of that. But when I went on a mission trip <laughs> and um, I did, I learned way more than in a couple of weeks than I had in a whole semester. Well, so you know why? Te- it's because you wanted to eat. <laughs> you, exactly. You wanted, yeah, you you wanted, you wanted to. to find the yep. banyo. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah. Donde esta la biblioteca? Doesn't, isn't that exactly. useful when it comes down to it? <laughs> um, but el baño, yes. Um, yes. El baño is more important than knowing what, even how to say Bible when you're in a foreign land. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> Yeah. But I, I think that viewing it that way too is like we don't we understand that learning new languages, you know, it's gonna take some immersion and practice. Yeah. But you know, to think of technology is is the same way. Well, well and see the thing that I, I was uh, kind of really inspired by was that the reason you're sitting here having this conversation with us today is because you were just curious. You and your brother were just like, Hey, you know what? There doesn't seem to be anything happening here. How can we solve this problem? And that seemed to be what drove you to get you to where you are today. And you've said it multiple times, and I think it's so wise. You take baby steps, you know, step here, step there. So I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm listening right now, and I'm going, okay, I, don't, I, I like what Paul's saying. I don't even know where to start. What would you tell him? For one, you could start with something like Pathrate, but that might be like even a little bit further than what you need to start with. Like maybe the the first thing to start with when it comes to technology, could you encourage your congregation or your staff or your volunteers just using email? Could you send them an encouraging email and use email to kind of love your, your congregation well? It's not something we think about when we think about email. It's like, how do I love somebody with this? But it's just communication. <laughs> I had several emails that people have sent me that have really um, been formative at key moments. And so yeah. that's that's a really simple, easy way. And then maybe, and this is a little bit harder because in this case, the medium itself is gonna be working against you, but how could you actually love your neighbor and um, share grace with people on Facebook? Like how could you use Facebook to encourage people? Um, you can do it. And I, I follow several pastors who do it really well. 
Hmm. Um, but it, it is in that case, you are swimming upstream in a sense, because Facebook wants to show kind of the most extreme stuff to get you to click so that they get the ad revenue. But you can essentially kind of be this strange kind of missionary in a foreign land on Facebook <laughs> um, by mm -hmm. kind of going against that flow and actually trying to intentionally use it to love people and to, you know, challenge them in an encouraging way. So I think those are two real simple ways to start that are generally available to anybody. So you mentioned earlier that you were really just pleased to see how just flexible a lot of leaders were early on, especially in COVID and transitioning how they ministered and stuff like that. What, so two, uh, this two-part question, but first is what are some like specific ways that you have been really encouraged as you've seen the church navigate the last year specifically? And what has just been on your heart of things that are kind of discouraging you right now about the church. Give us the good first. Yeah, good yeah, first. Yeah. yeah, we want the good first. We'll do the sandwich, you know, good, <laughs> good, bad, good, you know. Sounds good, yeah. Yeah, as far as encouraging, I think the, the most encouraging things that I saw were when, well, first of all, just like everybody was put in kind of a pretty desperate situation um, without um, being ready for it. So just yeah. seeing the amount of effort, I know the staff at my church at the time, they were working around the clock um, like twice, basically, yeah. for the first few weeks and months even of the pandemic to stay in contact with people and to, to mm -hmm. keep everything ready and figure out all these new technology solutions. So just that was really encouraging to see. And I, I saw that from, you know, I, I'm not close to every church on Pathway, but I saw that just generally observed it from all the churches that I talked to and mm -hmm. a lot of what we observed. Um, so just the creative energy that they put into it. Where I think they could grow more is is kind of thinking through some churches have done this really well and they've kind of figured this out months into the pandemic and even the year after is like what parts of the experience, whether it's learning or worship that they're doing remotely, what parts kind of like benefit from being live and kind of everybody kind of watching a stream or everybody being in the same room together and what parts are actually good to do asynchronously kind of anytime on their own time. And you find that a lot of churches just kind of want to replicate the exact way that they did the class just by putting a video. And this is very common in schools too. They just want to put a video in the back of the classroom and then record it and think that, you know, that's going to be a good experience for everybody. But that's not the same at all, as you know, as being in the room. So it does require some rethinking of how the to the new medium of how to deliver the learning experience itself. And so we we have seen many churches growing to learn that and they kind of gradually have learned that. And basically, we're not just trying to replicate exactly what we did when we were in a room together. Now we actually have an opportunity to do something even better in some ways. Maybe a few things I'll just mention about like what could be better actually mm -hmm. is like um, when it's actually online compared to in-person is yeah. if, you, if you arrange a discussion online, let's say you're doing a book study with a small group, and you have the chapter reading and then you have, you can put some questions in for them to answer online. Well, there's a whole set of people that are more kind of introverted or they, they like to take time to think and they're much more willing to just dive in and answer questions on their own time online from the kind of safety of their couch or whatnot yeah. than they are even in a zoom discussion or in a live discussion, certainly. So there are ways to get more participation actually online than there are in person in that kind of pre-participation. Like often what we see is a good combo is like, read the chapter. Let's have some online discussion. A lot of times the introverts are more likely to jump in on that and then do kind of like a zoom or in-person meeting. If that, if that's something that the church is doing and the discussion just ends up being a lot richer in that format because it's kind of dividing the, 
learning experience to be paced with the rhythm of the, everybody's life. What, what I really um, hope, kind of a trend that I hope kind of dies eventually is kind of like the, the movie theater model where like a church group will sit and watch like a DVD or a video for 30 to 40 minutes while they're in person mm. and then maybe have 10 to 15 minutes of discussion. It's like, yeah. well, the in-person time is so increasingly scarce and valuable. It'd be far better if that could be just used for more like small group discussion and, in, and question and answer and kind of intentional encouragement Yeah, and kind of, you know, watch that content, just the content delivery, you know, outside of that time. So very good. So I want to talk to the visionary Paul for a second. So as we kind of get, we're moving toward the end of the podcast. So Paul, we're recording you now five years later. What's happened in the last five years? Where are we? A lot of the church in five years is going to have to exist online and in person. It's going to have to be hybrid. And it already is, actually. It's just the churches, most churches are not doing very well in that hybrid environment. Um, I think they're trying to, and they're doing better, and they, the pandemic accelerated that. But I think the churches that will be thriving you know, five years from now are going to be every bit as active discipling and encouraging and evangelizing online as they are offline. And they're they're not going to be two different initiatives. Those are going to be interwoven together um, because they already are. Like we're already people that are existing for better or worse in an online and physical world that are already interwoven to meet the whole spiritual need of an individual member of a church the church needs to adapt to that. Good stuff. We've been talking about that a lot around here. Hybrid church. Yeah, keep on conserving it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. So, Paul, we always love to end our um, episodes with one question, and you are talking to hundreds of small and mid-sized church leaders across the country today. What is just one last piece of advice or encouragement you'd like to leave with them? I would just say technology is a gift, and it's a gift that you can just use in very small ways at first, if you feel uncomfortable with it, to make a meaningful difference in the lives of your congregation. And you can do that today. You don't need to wait. You can do it with something as low tech as email or a text message. And mm-hmm. that it is something that God has given you dominion over and all the grace that you need and your congregation too. Like I, I like to recommend that people look for at least a deacon of technology mm-hmm. um, that can come alongside them and help help them serve so I would just encourage everybody listening to take a small step, try something a little bit new. Um, doesn't need to be a big step. Well, I'm so excited about what you guys are doing and the impact you're having and you're missionaries, <laughs> you're pioneering missionaries. And and I believe that your impact is going to continue to increase and increase and increase. And, and so I hope any of our listeners today it just would give you a chance, check out Pathright, uh, spell Pathright and tell us how to get in touch with you. All right. So it's like shipwright or... Um, playwright. So P-A-T-H-W-R-I-G-H-T dot com. And there is, if you look on our website, there's a Pathright for Ministry section. And if you click on that, you'll see a little bit of information about how ministries use Pathright. And you'll also find a Pathright for Ministry Pathright course, which is hosted on Pathright, of course. And that kind of will introduce more in depth. It's free. How to how you might use Pathright in your ministry. It shows you some examples and of course, you can just send us an email. You can send an email to hello at pathrate.com. Um, and we'd be happy to answer any questions you have or help you get started.
Well, thanks for listening to episode 82 of the 95 podcast. Uh, we really enjoyed uh, talking to Paul, and we really do love the PathRight tool. And so we encourage you to check it out. Again, that's PathRight with a W, P-A-T-H-W-R-I-G-H-T.com. And you can also find the link to that in the show notes for this episode. Hey, we've been sharing about it recently, but just as a thank you for listening to this podcast, we would love to offer you a discount on our resources here at 95 Network. If you head to our website, 95network.org, we have a whole store available with lots of different resources from Dale's book, Stalled, to Vision Box, to the From Stalled to Freedom Box, and lots of other things. And uh, if you would like, you can get 10% off any of those resources by using the code podcast. Now, if you're already a member of 95 Network, you have some even greater discounts that you can find uh, in the membership hub. And so be sure to check those out as well. Above all else, we just want to remind you that you are not in this alone. We are so grateful for the work that you are doing in ministry. And God has some incredible things ahead for you in your ministry. We will see you right back here next week.